look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popowich. How are you? I'm good, Faisal. You? You like my tutu? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, it's a special day in the uh, studio today. We got to sure. tell everybody why I'm wearing my, my ballet gear today. Oh, you mean there's a reason other than that you just normally... I've seen you this outfit before. Well, yeah, well, yeah. I'm not wearing my wings. <laughs> Be happy about that. We're going to talk about ballet for seniors. <laughs> So in the spirit of that, uh, yeah, I've seen, well, he is not graceful for sure. Um, however, we're going to talk a little bit about activity. But ballet is, is particularly interesting um, because it works on posture instability, and that's one of the key leading problems for seniors. You lose stability, fall down, it leads to all kinds of problems. So very interesting program, and this is in our city here. We've also got, uh, there's a new survey, and it's got some surprising statistics about the state of housing for seniors. We want to talk about that. This problem is not going to get easier. It's going to get worse. How do you get availability to get yep. into a home? That's going to be the question I'm going to be asking for sure. And what about um, uh, what about the struggles with millennials? Can oh, the millennials blame their housing problems on the baby boomers? Not only the housing, everything. Okay, everything. <laughs> everything. They're going to blame everything, so we're going to have a conversation about that as well. <laughs> okay. So... Um, Interesting, um, interesting week in the market. Lots of noise again, Faisal. I want to talk a little bit about um, some conversations I've been having this week around interest rates. We don't often, um, I guess, focus on uh, the conversation around bonds uh, and the influence that interest rates and inflation expectations have because it's it not just affecting you know, the amount of money you get on your savings deposit, but it affects things like the stock market as well. Okay, so let's go through how this affects us really sure. quickly. First of all, as interest rates rise, that means the prices of bonds are falling. Which bonds? Generally, it's the treasury bonds that are the government debt that is falling first. Well, let's back up for just a second. I want to take it even further. So we've got a 10-year that we've been talking about, or I was on the news this week, talking about the 10-year treasury yield. The yield on the 10-year bond has been increasing. But that's not we, – we often talk about central banks raising interest rates. This isn't related to central banks relating uh, interest rates, right? Correct. This is So the bond market, we have to talk about there's lots of different interest rates, short-term and long-term interest rates, and they move for different reasons, right? Now, the bond market can signal two different things in my opinion. Number one, as interest rates rise, when companies are issuing out more debt or renewing their debt or countries are doing the same thing, mm -hmm. they're going to be paying a higher price. The yep. interest rate cost or goes people, up. Right? And now people will yep. be doing the same thing with their mortgages, car loans. Right. Keep in mind, side note, highest amount of default on car loans in the United States, even going before the, the financial crisis. It's worse now than it was back then. So this is what higher interest rates can do to people right. and to companies. So financial analysis on companies and their strength, uh, handling interest rate increases is very important. The second issue that we're seeing is what they call the yield curve. That's the difference between the two-year government bond in the U.S. versus what it pays, yeah. what it pays versus the 10-year. The and it, as they become equal or close to equal, you get an flattening of a yield curve when the the short-term two-year interest rate is higher than the 10-year you have an inverted yield curve right in history an inverted yield curve is a signal that we're heading for a recession right because it's saying 10 years from now we should have lower rates than what we have today right and now we have a recession this is what's reacting to the market well and, and it's also you know the psychological three percent number that we've talked about for a while on the 10-year treasury. We've breached it this week, and you know we've been solidly above it. 
um, and the expectation is going to continue to move higher on inflation expectations and so on and so forth. So um, we've got to think about the impact of that on, on, say, equity markets, right? So people say, well, okay, that's fine. I don't have any bonds in my portfolio, right? I only own stocks, but stocks are kind of bouncing around and they're struggling a little bit. So a rational investor has a decision to make from, from when they've got dollars to invest. They can in- invest it in a bond, which will just stay with sort of the top quality bonds are typically considered low, lower risk than a, than a stock. So the relative uh, return and relative risk between bonds and stocks becomes important. And the higher an interest rate goes, the more attractive that bond becomes relative to, say, a dividend that a company pays and the risk that I have to to take to get that dividend. Can I pause right there? This is where my biggest pet peeve is when I start hearing people say, I need income in my retirement, so I'm going to rely on dividends. Right. This is what happens. Dividends may be paid out to you, but the price of your stock could go down because of interest rate issues right. or the economy going into recession. This is what's at risk. Your capital is risk to get the same cash flow. That's why I don't like that strategy. But I just wanted to jump in there because my biggest pet peeve is when people start using stocks as income uh, needs uh, for their retirement. Right. So, so there's the we have to be even as equity investors. Um, I had lots of conversations about this. You know, we think we just came off S and P 500 earnings season, as an example, 25 plus percent mm-hmm. earnings growth. Stock markets are flat. So you're going, what, people are going, what, what's going on here, right? I've, we've got giant earnings growth, but I'm not getting any gain, capital growth, Correct. in the value of my securities. Well, what's happening is as those interest rates go up, that relative trade, right, risk-return trade between stocks and bonds, um, as the interest rates go higher, bonds become a little more attractive, stocks becoming a little less attractive. We're seeing a price-earnings multiple contraction. So we're paying fewer times for the earnings of a company. That's what's happening right now. So as it comes down, then, of course, the pendulum swings both ways. There'll come a point where stocks become attractively valued again based on earnings. But that's a very confusing point for people. And I think you have to understand all of these things are linked together, right? And um, if we don't understand the, the linkages between those things, very difficult to make decisions from an investment perspective of where you should put your money, stocks, bonds, cash, you know, alternatives, wherever it should be. Correct. And that's where the problem comes into play when you're going in through retirement is that if all of your money is in one investment style, stocks or asset class, one type of investment, um, one geographical location, or a primary on one area, you pose the risk of these types of things. And so when you go through retirement or you're entering retirement, the game has changed. Mm-hmm. The game has changed because you don't have the time to recover. We've always been told in our industry, and, and the media has done a very good job at this too, is that when the markets fall, hold on, wait, right. you'll go through it, everything will be fine. When you're in retirement, the risks completely change. And so th- you don't have the time to recover. And that's where most advisors or most people would say, let's just lower your risk. Let's just go buy bonds. Right. May not have been the best thing to do if you put all your money in bonds last year because you need to retire the year after. Right. Right? So that's a problem. So you need to make sure you put it in buckets. Right. That's why we put this program together talking about the income bucket and the growth bucket. Two different objectives doing two different things. When people put all their their assets into one strategy that is not um, dedicating their assets to certain needs – then all you have is hope that it works out. And if it doesn't, because there's risk out there, 
you're going to have a problem with your with your long term needs for income. I think you bring up an excellent point, and um, so we you know we're talking about different asset classes and so on and so forth. But I think the first fundamental thing that people have to recognize in retirement is that you have multiple objectives to achieve, right? You've got an income objective, you still need growth for inflation, all these things that we've talked about. And so the buckets, right, is just an easy way to think about the fact that I have to have certain pieces of my wealth, whatever it might be, doing certain things, right? Dedicated to doing certain things. Uh, When you're 30 and 40 years old, really, I mean, aside from the debt, all you want is for all of your assets to grow. And we still want growth in retirement. I'm not saying we don't. But we also have other more complex needs like inflation, or sorry, uh, income being, um, you know, on a, an inflation-adjusted basis. You've got this health bucket that we talk about. You know, we've got the legacy bucket if you want to leave something for the kids, the grandkids, charities, those kinds of things. So there's a whole bunch of different things you're trying to accomplish, and you just simply can't do it with one style and one bucket anymore. And I think to get a better understanding of all this, we'll give copies of our, our published book yep. out there called Bulletproof Your Retirement. If you're interested in a free copy of our book, go to our website, morethanmoneyradio.com. Uh, contact us. Send me a note. Uh, we'll get that that free copy of your book either electronically or in uh, in, in soft copy. More, more happy to, to send it to you. Well, you're generous all of a sudden. Why not? <laughs> Love it. That's... We're almost halfway to Christmas. That's a good, good reason. Get a little good weather and all of a long weekend, yeah. and all of a sudden you're in a good mood. I'm in a good mood. Uh. Give away our books for free. Why not? <laughs> okay. You paid for half of them, you know, so why not? I I'm giving that. away your half. <laughs> That's great. All right. Uh, maybe enough talk about, uh, about all of that. Um, uh, interest rates and so on and so forth. Boy, we know how to show a girl a good time, don't we, on a first date? Uh, okay, uh, let's let's take a break here. Um, but before we do, we should remind everybody about the upcoming seminar. Yeah, how does this all tie in together? How do you bulletproof your retirement? How do you make sure that you insure? How do you make sure that your lifestyle never retires? We're going to discuss all that on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. You need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Want to know how to improve your posture and your core strength to make sure that as a senior, you're not at risk of falling down? Tune in in the next section. We've got some really cool ideas. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And, uh, you know, Faisal, we talk often about um, uh, about the linkage between quality of life and activity, mm-hmm. right? We talk about it not just from a physical perspective, but a mental uh, perspective. There's lots of things that people can do um, in order to stay engaged. Now, one of the things that's, that's happening in our city here is uh, ballet for seniors. Now, this is something I think that not only in your retirement you need to look at, but now because you're about as uh, elegant in your movements as a rhinoceros. So I'm very interested to see how you know how this uh, this ballet for seniors and you're getting there. I know you're you just, like to argue it. You're just jealous. I'm wearing my tutu. I'm, I'm at the station right now. That's all. <laughs> Joyce Reddy is joining us today. She's a senior ballet instructor at the Confederation Park Activity Center. Joyce, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I'm happy to be there. Well, and, and we're happy to have you join us. Um, and I am interested in, in this activity because uh, ballet, when I say ballet or think about ballet, I, you know, I think about my little girls in that class and I think about flexibility and all of these kinds of things, things that seniors may not have. So maybe we can start with this notion of what senior ballet is, and should somebody be scared if maybe they haven't stretched in 30 years? <laughs> well, the class, of course, uh, builds from, you're talking about a little child, four years old. We start very similar in the fact that the, the movements are modified 
they're meant to be fun, but they are based on a real ballet technique, which, of course, involves that major turnout from the hip and a strong core and good posture. And this is usually the posture part and the core part is usually what starts to fade as you get older. Mm -hmm. You use your arms to get out of the chair and, you know, you grunt when you sit down. Um, We're doing the ballet from a standing position, nice slow movements. The class that I teach is based on a proper ballet syllabus. It is not um, somebody taking a look and saying, oh, yeah, I can do something with that. Um, I'm a life member of the Royal Academy of Dancing, so uh, technique is really important to me. The the seniors will start with what we call plies at the bar, which Mm -hmm. is a a postural thing, a slow bending and flexing of the knees, rising onto the balls of the feet, keeping that posture. So right off the top, the first thing that's going to improve is posture. When we move away from the bar... um, we're then working on slow movements in the center, and we're working on grace uh, with the arms and, again, a good, full, strong, open posture. And by the way, I do have a man in the ballet class. <laughs> I was just going to ask because Faisal doesn't want to be there alone for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, I, you know, this, this is really interesting. Posture, core strength, right? I mean, I don't know how many shows we've done about this. I think it is irrefutable that, you know, uh, that, that core strength and posture is absolutely critical as we age. And, Faisal, we've talked lots, uh, you know, to the medical community about, uh, you know, hip problems. And if you're uh, unstable, right, you're falling down. This leads to all kinds of problems. Correct. So yes. Uh, you know, I'm interested how this, um, and Joyce, you've been a lifelong member, but how would somebody get involved? Uh, I mean, I think this this could sound kind of daunting, male or female. Uh, the, the logic makes sense. Um, how does somebody start? What should they know? Uh, well, let me tell you, at Confederation Park, they have, a, they have wonderful activities. They have tap dancing. I teach three tap classes. Um, I teach a jazz class as well as a ballet class, and that's just what I teach. Um, we started off have, with a thing called Dance Fit, which was a ballet bar and then more general movement in the center. Everybody felt the benefit of the ballet bar the best, hmm. and they wanted a, a full ballet class. So getting started is something that people think, oh, I can't possibly do it because I'm old. But uh, the minute they get into the class, they realize their lifelong dream to feel that good about themselves, feel that presentation, imagine they're on stage, and that's 50% of the, uh, of the battle right there is, is that emotional connection. And you feel as light as air when you start dancing ballet, oh, if, sure. if you're being taught correctly. Um, so um, getting started, I've always taught adult people to dance. When I had my studio, I had classes strictly for adults. Um, I think it's finding, um, first of all, no fear. There is no fear. When you go into the class, um, and I know that the city offers some some type of uh, bar as well, um, as some kind of ballet, when you go into the class, um, the first thing you're going to find out is, is it gentle to start with? If it's gentle to start with, then you're onto the right track. Right. It should not be... Uh, a fierce, um, you know, hurting class. If you have an instructor that is qualified, they will modify all of the movements and explain why the movements are done that way. 
so that you can explore your own body. Or maybe my leg won't go that high. Well, that's fine. As long as it's got the correct placement, it doesn't have to be high. Right. Right. All of those things. So, I mean, you have to inquire at your local center. I mean, I I don't have a list of all of the local centers, but uh, I think it's becoming more and more popular. And there are some studios around town that do offer classes for adults, too. Joyce, I'm so happy you said your leg doesn't have to go that high. Dave just registered me for one of these courses. <laughs> oh, my God. If I, oh, my leg I wish you high. would come. I think you'd have a marvelous time. <laughs> no, no. Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> That's right. I, if you could, you know, I'd love to see his plie and his point. And neither would be, yeah, it'd be impressive for sure. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, there you go. You talk about plie. Yeah, that's the flexing of the knees. Our knees are like our shock, shock absorbers in the yes, car. Right. I mean, if you go, well, any sport that you do, you need to use your knees and keep your keep your balance and your body in alignment. And uh, we could do that very gently in a ballet class. So, uh, I, so you know, it you even on... helps your sports. In England, they used to teach the, the football players ballet yep. classes. Yeah. Right. No, yeah. that's right. I, I'm going to put you on the spot just a little bit because I'd, yeah. I'd really love, just from a from a personal perspective as a teacher, you see people come in, they're uh, they're brand new, um, and you know, sometime later they're accomplishing things they didn't think they could accomplish. Do you have any experiences that you can share with us? Obviously, not mentioning any names, but just uh, to give a give a yes. sense of what yes. people accomplish. Uh, well, I have a lady that I am teaching. She teaches. She does all three classes. Who was uh, complete, quite stooped with her upper back to the point where she was not holding her head up. And this was causing back problems. And, you know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, you know, you need some physiotherapy or various things, right? And over the course of this last ballet session that we have, with me reminding her, you know, how to open her chest, pull her shoulders down and, and, and look out into the distance, her posture has improved to the point where she very rarely has um, major pains in her back anymore. Wow. To me, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, especially when you're getting up to being over 70. Now, my oldest student is 88. Wow. And she has a beautiful ballet posture. <laughs> so... <laughs> There that's, you go. <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And and so much of, yeah, Faisal, again, we talk to the medical community, right? So I think each of us have a responsibility um, uh, as we age to do what we can do. It's a lifestyle right. choice, right? To yes. stay active. Now, whether it's ballet or whatever else you choose, right? All of those things will lead to uh, better health. And it's not that we can control every, uh, you know, all of our health, well, but we yeah. certainly can take responsibility for that. It's a fun way for preventive problems. You bet. Oh, and we have, we do have fun. I mean, we, we, we have laughter in that class. I teach a strict technique, but you know, if something happens that a person can't quite get it and their legs are all going gaga and their fingers <laughs> are doing funny things. I mean, we have a good laugh at the end of the class. They always say to me, gosh, we feel so much better. Uh, because they've let their spirit fly. You know, that's another thing. Just because you're 80 or whatever doesn't mean to say you're old. Your spirit is still young inside you. It still wants to get out there and fly. And you're using every part of your brain when you dance because you have to count. (laughs) You have to be coordinated. Uh You know, (laughs) (laughs) you had me until coordinated. Oh, I heard that. (laughs) 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 Yep, I can get you coordinated. But you're using everything. You know, you're using things that maybe you didn't use since you were a child. Yeah. 
Joyce, I want to thank you for joining us today. Um, just before we sign off, though, just I'll give you a chance to do a little self-promotion. If somebody wants to register for your class and have all kinds of fun and learn new posture, how do they do that? Uh, well, Confederation Park 55 Plus is the, is the place where I am teaching. Uh, you would have to get in touch with Confederation Park 55 Plus. They are online. And um, sign up for the courses. They usually run in stretches of 10 or 11 weeks. We're just coming halfway through our first session. They don't usually do very much in the, um, in the summer, and then they'll start back up again immediately after the Labor Day weekend. Wonderful. The prices are very reasonable, of course, because it's a senior center, about half as much as a, uh, going to a, a regular dance studio. We have a beautiful studio in there with a, with a sports court floor and full wall of mirrors and a ballet bar. And they Terrific. built it because they knew of the interest in dance. So Confederation Park 55 Plus is amazing for accommodating its teachers. That's and, wonderful. of course, if anybody wants to do a private or a semi-private lesson, then they can come to me. Joyce, I, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Been joined by Joyce Reddy, Senior Ballet Instructor at the Confederation Park Activity Center. Uh, before we sign off here, my friend, we're going to have to talk about your financial health, your lifestyle health at our upcoming uh, seminar. Keeping your lifestyle throughout your retirement, even yep. if it includes ballet or not. We're going to discuss that <laughs> on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Give us a call to reserve your seats, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. After the break, let's talk a little bit about uh, the state of housing for seniors. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're listening to 770 CHQR and More Than Money. And, you know, the, the conversation about affordability, about long-term care, about seniors' homes, these are the things that are, are pressing especially as we have an aging demographic here in Canada, uh, and I want to focus on Alberta as well. Um, this is a concern of ours, as clients of ours, as, uh, and listeners of this show know that uh, you know when we get older, we want to make sure that we've got those services, more important that it's affordable and they're available. So let's talk about what's out there. With, you know, set the, within the next seven years, the national average for seniors' home rents could reach about $4,000 a month is what we've been told. So let's have more discussion about this. We have Lauren Tamblin-Watts. She's National Director of Law, Policy, and Research at the Canadian Association of Retired Persons, known as CARP. Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's start talking about uh, the, the article that was recently published, uh, uh, noticing that uh, we could have uh, rents for, for seniors' homes going up as high as $4,000. Um, what's the outlook for people who may want to move into some sort of seniors' residence? It's really important to plan ahead because what we see is that residences that offer some type of supportive care, whether that be meds, help, or dining, and so on, we're really running into a shortage of them. And part of the reason we're running into that shortage is because we have a shortage of long-term care home beds. And so what happens is the pressure moves downward. So we're getting more and more pushed into that middle option of what we call retirement homes or assisted living houses. Okay, so there's, there's less availability because we, we need more supply. Is there incentives out there or any kind of program out there to build uh, more of these homes? It kind of 
depends where you are in the country. Some local initiatives or municipalities are encouraging building in that area, um, and some really haven't yet kind of got their heads around the real need for different kinds of affordable housing for people who also need support. So well, the answer to that question is, depends what your postal code is. Okay. So what are the prices like are in Alberta, for example? Well, you know, I, the numbers that you heard are, are not surprising to me in any way. I mean, I think if you're going to look to see, you'll see at the very, very low end, about, say, two-ish thousand dollars. That's very low end. And it is not difficult to find $12,000 a month. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have a really hard time affording that. And one of the things that you need to look at is when they're talking about those dollars, are that, is that the total dollars for the month? Or is that just the rent component? Because very often you may have, for instance, something three or four thousand dollars, but if you look at it, on top of that you're being charged for services. And so you have to be a very aware person when you're looking at what's available to get a sense of what the total dollar value of, of what's happening in that monthly component. So you mentioned earlier about you need to plan ahead. Not too many people do this. Not too many people start to explore that option. And some are are put in that option without advance notice for themselves through medical reasons or what have you. Um, How does someone plan ahead? What should they be doing to plan ahead? The first thing they should be doing is looking where they live now. Look around. Is it accessible? Are there things that you could do in your own home now that means that you may not have to move in to another type of residence? So can you take out walls or widen things? Can you make bathrooms more accessible? So that's kind of at the first end. Can you make the place that you are better so you don't have to move? Some people will want to move because what we know is that people can get very lonely as they age and having a greater community as well as support services can be both nice as well as medically necessary. So at that point, you know, I I think it's really important that when we think about planning ahead, you have a, a real thought about how long you'll live. You know, when you go to financial planners and you're putting away money for retirement, they routinely use numbers like 80 or 85. But what we know is the Canadian population is now routinely living well into their mid-80s and into their 90s and over 100. So part of planning ahead is having a look at what level you expect for your money to stretch to. So think about putting money aside, not just for your retirement, but for your quality of life and your living expenses. I think you raise a good point there, Laura. One thing that we do on our team for our clients, we kind of estimate what those uh, costs are. So we do a full health plan with our clients to understand um, what are some of their concerns, what their doctors are saying could be a high probability of issues and risks down the road. We start to quantify what those those risks could mean in, in, in regards to long-term care or home care. And then what are what, what do we do to plan for that in the overall strategy? So I think I'm I'm very happy to hear that you're you're talking about not just wait till later, figure it out sooner uh, and, and go from there. I kind of want to switch gears as well. Um, uh, Laura, there's going to be a lot of people who are looking for retirement homes, for looking long-term care facilities, and, and unfortunately, because of the lack of availability at this point in time, what are your options if you can't find a spot? So you, we talk about the health and housing continuum, everything from living in your own home and getting home care support to kind of moving into that retirement home, which is usually some type of a private pay option with extra services, some 
some places have government subsidies for that, like British Columbia and, and some in Alberta as well. Uh, some don't in Ontario, for instance. It's entirely private pay. Or then you're moving into long-term care. So what I would suggest to folks is think about every kind of creative option along that line. Is there maybe not a house that you live in right now, but one that's close to your neighborhood that's more easily accessible on transit, that can get you where you need to go, but is maybe a bungalow? Is there an option if you decide that you want to co-live with family or friends? Can you divide up your house and use part of a home as an accessible suite uh, and then rent out the other part of your home so you're earning money on the rest of it, but you're living in an accessible suite? So really think about what you have now and how how you can maximize it. When you're looking at moving into a retirement home, you'll think through what it is that you want. Are you looking to be close to family and friends? If so, you may decide that actually moving to a different place is where you want to go, which is often something people don't think about. You may not decide that you want to stay there uh, because that's a community that you've long lived to. The people may be more important. So think about what's most important to you and then look in those areas. We see people also looking to go to other jurisdictions because they think that it's less expensive and the quality of life is good. Lots of folks in Alberta came from the Maritimes, and what we see is something called east-sizing, where people are retiring in Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, and and so forth, and other areas here, and and Newfoundland as well, where cost of living is much less expensive and they can get maybe more accessible services and, and so on. If you'd like to stay close to home, that's great. Look now and maybe put your name down on the list earlier than later. Can I ask one question before we have to go for break? Um, Is there somebody or a company or companies out there that help families navigate this whole system? Because I think it's it's overwhelming. Sometimes people are ill-equipped with information. Um, You open up the Internet and you start Googling. There's a lot of stuff that can come your way. Um, Are there companies out there that actually help individuals figure this all this all this stuff out? And this is a terrific question. More and more we're seeing usually smaller organizations provide kind of a concierge-based service for families, and I think it's money well spent. So I was uh, just working with a company here in Ontario called Healthcare Sisters, and the type of work that they do is they help to either sell the house or put your uh, things up for sale, help to organize moving. They know where the long-term care facilities are or the retirement homes and have existing relationships. They can help to navigate the medical, legal, and financial aspects, and they can work with your financial planner. So we are seeing more of these. They exist more in the United States but they are coming up now in Canada. And I think that for some families, it's money well spent. Thank you very much for joining us, Laura. Thank you. This is Laura Tamblin-Watts, National Director of Law, Policy and Research at CARP. Uh, And so this is a part of a conversation that you need to have with your family, with your significant other. Even if you're 30 years away from needing these services, you should have some sort of base plan and build on it. Conversations with your medical professionals and your financial advisors need to be working together on this. This is what we call the health bucket. And the biggest concern when we start to speak to our clients and to people who discuss this situation with us, they're worried about, will they have enough money to cover these types of expenses and their current lifestyle? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, can your money last for your entire lifetime, no matter how your your life changes? We'll discuss that on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seats. So give us a call at 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com.
And join us after the break. We're going to ask whether the fact that millennials are struggling in is really the fault of the baby boomers. <laughs> they blame them for everything. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money here with Dave and Faisal. We're going to wrap this show up. Uh, let's try to make some sense of everything we've talked about, my friend. Um, but um, maybe the best way to do that is there's this cool article talking about millennials struggling. And is it the fault of baby boomers? Dun, dun, dun. All right. So this kind of brings into everything into I'm reading the article and I thought, boy, you know, baby boomers are <laughs> blamed by the millennials their fault. for everything here. All you baby boomers. It's all your fault. Yeah. That's what I keep on hearing. OK, so uh, is that true? OK, let's start talking about, first of all, who's a millennial and then kind of go into the fact of what's their what their experience may be. A millennial, basically somebody 40. born in the late 80s, late 90s, 80s right? you've got to be 18 say, in the year 2000 or later, right? That would be a millennial. Fair. Okay. So now that we know who we're talking about, yeah. they've had some struggles. Let's find out what their struggles are. To purchase a home, to live in a home, live on your own. Um, they've gone through recessions. 2000 to now, they've gone through a really deep recession where a lot of them were promised, directly or indirectly, of great opportunities. And some of them saw it because of the tech, uh, the tech boom that we had in the late 90s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, of prosperity completing school. I'll, I'll, point, I'll say it this way. There have been many millennials who have been told, if you finish school, you'll get a good job and good money and you'll be fine. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It didn't work out that way. It didn't work out that way because housing prices have gone up. Interest rates were falling, but very difficult to get, to, to get into your own home. Purchasing a lifestyle that you've been accustomed to because you've seen your parents, i.e. the baby boomers, um, and, and the generation after, uh, is very difficult to achieve. Now, so yeah, fair enough. But in, in fairness, some of this research is like this article was in the UK, right? Now, of course, their housing problem has been crazy. So I'm I'm not suggesting that, that here in Canada it's we, not we hear true. it all the time too. We do hear it, but it's not it's not quite as bad as say what. Well, unless you're in Vancouver London. or Toronto, let's put okay, that Vancouver. In place. Vancouver's bad. Yeah. So let's talk about anecdotally some of our clients who have yep. who've expressed uh, their children to talk to us yeah okay and when we're talking to them they find it very difficult right what do they find it very difficult is getting what their parents have right okay and and the measurement of improvement in lifestyle generation over generation is how long it takes you to have what the previous generation had or right. do you have more right and so because it will talk first of all in regards to what you can receive it's it's tough it's not easy, and I get it. Right. Okay? So I'm not discounting the struggle of a millennial. Here's where I have concerns about the comments that I hear about millennials blaming baby boomers. The baby boomers are, are the ones who started the growth in this country, in North America, in the Western world. The baby boomers were the ones, and let's go through it, brought in the, the, the mortgage, Brought in the white picket fence, the the uh, the garage door, the the concept of life that we have right. today right. has been brought in through a major growth period, which the baby boomers contributed to. Right. Okay. Yes, we accumulated debt to get here. Yes, from a fiscal perspective, from governments, they're in problems, and the concern is: will that diminish the lifestyle of the next generation because of that? Now. Here's where I why don't you jump in first? Well, I was going to I was going to argue. So the baby boomers, we got the millennials. Let's talk about pre-baby boomers. Went through a very tough time. Two world wars, a depression, 
right? There's so <laughs> it's a reaction, right? It's a my parents went through this right. as a baby boomer. I don't want that, so I want more. Right. I'm not gonna. So, so what about what about this argument? The baby boomers have pulled forward a lot of uh, of of. Uh, spending and whatnot through through debt accumulation. Correct. They're experiential driven. They're having these experiences, and the next generation, a much smaller demographic cohort, moving through here. Let's let's go with that. I uh, I can't I can't afford a house for 19 years. It takes me 19 years of savings versus what my parents would have maybe had eight or nine years of savings to do. So at the same time of life, right? I can't have the same as my parents. Should they be entitled to that? Let's not use the word entitled because you'll know how I'll react on that one. I think it's a different struggle for a different different. era. It's different. I'll give you that. It's a different struggle for a different era. Okay. Um, The opportunities to create income and wealth beyond a regular nine to five job is greater now than ever before. Right. There are people that go on a computer and get paid to give their opinion. Right. Before, the baby boomers invented three or four news channels where you got all your information from. Yeah. Now, there's four million news channels online or on the, on the TV, on the radio, and you can get any information that you want, and everybody has an opinion. Right. And some of them are getting paid very well. Right. You could have a problem on the internet and become a famous superstar now and make millions of dollars. Right. The opportunities using the internet, using technology is way better now than it was when the baby boomer. So I think opportunity is higher. It's difficult for people who are in traditional jobs. Right. It's difficult for the traditional type of economy. We are not in a traditional economy. We're in a, yep. a non-traditional economy. Right. The the millennials were the one who brought the, fa- the the phone, Facebook, Amazon. The millennials are pushing for all this. Uber, all these different things but, but, what, it, never were around and have made millions of dollars for millions of people right. because of those opportunities. Right. And I'm also going to talk about timing a little bit um, because, you know, we talk to clients, obviously, all the time. One of the things we talk about is the legacy bucket. Okay? So the legacy bucket is, amongst other things, um, for the baby boom generation, uh, literally the biggest transfer of wealth ever in the history of mankind going to be taking place. Who's going to be the recipient of that wealth. Yeah. The millennials are. Well, the baby boomers will receive a lot, and then they'll pass it on right. to, to the Gen X and millennials. Right? right. So so there's an argument to be made that it's a timing issue. Wealth has been generated. It's not that it's just all debt nobody has anything. Wealth has been generated. I, there are some struggles. There's a change taking place, for sure, but just go back. Two generations ago, you had two world wars and a depression. Then we had this baby boom generation after the Second World War, which was a giant demographic, uh, created this massive expansion in global, uh, in global growth and wealth. Okay, Now we've got this, uh, this generation behind, has its own challenges as we transition the economy. I get it. But there is wealth been created through this period of time that is enormous. And that, that wealth will get transitioned to the next generation. Do you think we, we spend, in general, too much time focusing on what millennials will get versus about what they can earn? Do you remember the good old days when you turn 18, Dave? You have to go get your own money and live on your own and figure it out yourself. Yeah. Do you think that's changed now? And I'm picking on millennials. I know it's not the right, only the only group that's being affected by this. No, no, no. I mean, it's it's just apropos, but relative to the, the, you know, the article we're talking about, um, yeah, millennials are struggling. So, I remember being 18. I struggled. My, my parents, you know, were uh, upper middle class, I would call them, 
but let me tell you, you pay for your university education, right? You do the, you do those things. You earn it. You go and you earn, earn it, it, right? You go and earn it. I now, think that's changed. Maybe. I think the concept of going out and earning it yourself has changed, not only from the Gen X and, and millennials, but also from the baby boomers. Right. My child deserves to have a house, so I'm going to gift him money. And sometimes it's some guilt too. It's not. It's not just that. Sometimes I feel bad. Yeah, that exactly. they don't Have the it's same things that I do. Right. Because nope, no, I have yet to hear one of our clients say to me, "When I was 18 or 19 or 24, I had my own house, and my parents gave." Very no. rare. Do we? No, hear very that? rare. That's right? right. Our our clients anecdotally are saying, right. "I have this. I think my child should have this." Right. So, but there's a there's a, a struggle, a right. journey. Right. That they have missed out on. Yeah. But I have to tell you, just to maybe finish this off, um, every generation struggles. We have their, everybody has their own struggles in the generation. So I'm not particularly sensitive to that particular, that topic. Um, certainly there is changes. Absolutely. I got it. Um, but there is, there is a responsibility for each generation to go out and earn it. Um, timing might be different. Maybe it does take longer now to, to save, to buy for a house. I get it. Okay. Maybe your parents are in a position to help you do that. I get it. Okay. But that's not an entitlement, right? That, that is a, it is something that we all have to earn and a responsibility. The biggest problem that we talk about with people that will be transitioning wealth is do my kids understand the responsibility of the money? Correct. I've earned Financial it. Financial literacy and the responsibility of owning it is a problem. Right. It, Absolutely. And, and you've, you've got to understand the value of that dollar to respect it and to, to be able to spend it. So I'm not sure that we've, we've accomplished anything in the discussion. It is an interesting article. It raises a conversation that we hear a lot about. Um, Send us your thoughts. Go to morethanmoneyradio.com. Let us know what you're thinking. We'd love to uh, hear from you about the struggles between millennials and how they blame the baby boomers. We'd love to hear your or, if, or if you're one of those baby boomers in retirement, tell us about how you feel about what your kids are facing because you're seeing them struggle. Yeah. Right? And we'd love to have a chat about that going forward. Uh, we also have an upcoming seminar, my friend. Oh, yeah. And, and we're going to talk about how yep. you can bulletproof your retirement. And if helping your children is part of your financial future, then you want to know if you're going to be secure or not in that. And if you want to make sure you have your lifestyle uh, moving the way in the direction and protecting it going forward, you definitely want to come to our seminar on Tuesday, May 29th, 7 p.m. at the Crowfoot Co-op Wine and Spirits. Now you need to reserve your seat. So give us a call, 966-8400, 966-8400. Or go to our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Yeah, you know, I think um, uh, we have to we have to tag these two things. We know just in this millennial conversation, Faisal, um, the uh, a big topic of focus has been this this transition of wealth and the responsibility of that. And I think we're going to have to continue that conversation. I'm a gen I'm a Gen Xer. You're a Gen Xer, right? So we're right in between the uh, baby boomers and, and the, and the yep. Gen Ys, right? The the millennials. So it's it's an interesting uh, set of circumstances, challenges, but. But wealth, a total wealth conversation, I think is critical, and I love having those conversations. Did you at like the... my compliment today? I agree to that me? you're a Gen X. See that? Not bad. Oh, yeah, exactly. That's a good compliment. <laughs> All right, listen, <laughs> thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. 
David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmeli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.